I realised that he had a weakness down one side pretty immediately because he couldn't push himself up on that side. And he then became unable to talk and so I realised that something pretty catastrophic was happening. This was kind of a secondary thing. It's like, oh, yeah, your husband's fighting your life. And by the way, he's also had a really severe stroke. Can't tell you what he's going to be like. There are various scales. And you just hold on to hope. I'm one of these that likes to keep a positive outlook when the doctors were kind of saying, well, it's really not looking good. I, you know, was fighting his corner and saying that you don't know my husband. Hello and welcome to On A Good Day with me, Elizabeth Callahan, And me, Julia Ajayi. This is the podcast which delves into brain injury and its impact on all involved. I want to start by saying a really warm, big welcome to this, our brand new podcast. We're going to be learning all about the brain, specifically the knock-on effect of brain injury on all aspects of life for the wider network of family and friends of those people affected by brain injury, as well as for the survivors themselves. This is with the aim of us all working together to get the best outcomes possible for everyone. Julia and I have both had experience. We are both partners of brain injury survivors. Myself, three and a half years almost down the line, and Julia... Nearly 12 years. Yeah, 12 years. And you know what? We were connected through a mutual friend, and it was just so wonderful to speak to someone that understood what I was going through, to be able to have you know a really honest frank discussion about what it's like to live with someone with a brain injury we hit upon this idea of well it was more julia's idea actually of creating this podcast because we knew if we found it helpful to have shared experiences that we could discuss with somebody else then others would as well and i know that i would have massively benefited when this first happened when my husband first had his brain injury, I would massively have benefited from listening to a podcast that we will be creating. Yes, and over the last 12 years, I've been put in touch with a number of people and people have been put in touch with me to share experiences, to share learning. And I think that that has really helped me on my journey with the responsibilities that I have and understanding more about the situation from friends, from acquaintances and from professionals as well that I've been lucky enough to speak to and in some of my professional life. And when I say us all, I mean my husband, myself and our kids and our wider family and friends network. Let's dig in a little bit. Julia, In brief, kind of talk us through your situation, what happened 12 years ago. Yeah, well, I I think that we all have a story and uh, I think that most people who are listening to this have a story that is probably full of drama and hurt and anguish in many ways. Um, And I hope that we can look at the whole story, but going right back to the beginning, of October 2009, our lives changed overnight. Um, We had, my husband and I had had been out and we were living in Nigeria at the time, both working. 
Uh, we'd been out on a Friday night and when we came home, Hector had actually come home early, earlier than me, um, complaining of a headache. When I got home, I, we had, were both in bed actually and he got up to go to the toilet and he didn't come back to bed. And I went and found him collapsed on the floor in the bathroom. He had vomited, uh, which is something I'd never seen him do before. Mm -hmm. And I asked him to get up off the floor and he was unable to. And I realized that he had a weakness down one side pretty immediately because he couldn't push himself up on that side. And he then became unable to talk and so I realised that something pretty catastrophic was happening. Mm. Um, being in Nigeria, there were no emergency services, so I actually had to go out and try and find um, a doctor to come to the house. I won't go into all of that now, but it was uh, just to say driving around at two o'clock in the morning in Abuja was not much fun. Um, I did manage to make contact with a clinic that we had you know had an account with they found the keys to the ambulance and the ambulance followed me home to work out where we were and we got Hector in the in the ambulance but being quite a tall man they couldn't shut the doors of the ambulance either so uh, we got to the clinic and, and actually the thing that um, I think really saved Hector's life was that he was able to have a scan which showed that he had had a massive bleed on the brain and that then kicked in a, a medical evacuation, which happened on the Sunday night. So he was in the clinic for two days, uh, most of that time without proper oxygen. And uh, he was then flown to Addenbrooke's Hospital in Cambridge in overnight on Sunday and arrived in the early hours of Monday morning. So um, he was met then in uh, Stansted, taken straight to the uh, neurocritical care unit in Addenbrookes where he continued to be for some time in a coma for six weeks. Um, and on the Monday I flew back from Nigeria with the children on a, on a domestic plane. So yes, again, a very dramatic story, mm -hmm. um, but 12 years down the line, He's still with us, uh, which we didn't necessarily think he would be at one stage, and has had neurosurgery, a process of rehabilitation, um, and a program of, of speech therapy and occupational therapy, all of which we'll go into um, in some of our other podcasts, won't we? And, and some of the opportunities that have come out of that. And I think at that time, there's certainly, I certainly wasn't thinking about opportunities, um, it was, uh, yes, pretty crazy that uh, we, we ended up actually back at my mother's house and, and a house that I had uh, grown up in. So we were sort of, in many ways, back at square one, uh, or I felt that at times, um, but in a very different situation. And it is those, you know, was kind of my story as well, it, your life changes in that instant. And my husband's had various illnesses actually over kind of the last nine years. Yeah, I want to I want to hear your story mm. as well mm. because 
Well, it's been pretty dramatic for you <laughs> as well, hasn't it? They have been quite, yes, definitely. So he, nine years ago, he had a non-Hodgkin lymphoma. So he was treated for that blood cancer and had eight rounds of chemo and was effectively cured from it. So we thought everything, you know, everything's fine, life's Came back to normal, really, and that's kind of a gradual journey. Um, over what sort of period of time was that? So he had over six months. He had okay. the chemo, okay. but actually, you know, he it, it was very advanced. So okay. he was in a really bad way. He'd been surviving through I, I don't know how sheer grit and I'm all right sort of sort of mentality. That kind of happened, and then in 2015, he had a very severe bout of meningitis and streptococcal pneumonia while he was on a business trip in Chicago, which meant he had to have, he was in a coma, it didn't look great. Um, you know, I got this phone call from Chicago that, you know, my husband had, was very, very sick indeed mm. and was in a coma. So I flew over there. He had to have heart surgery because it had gone and caused endocarditis. So two of his heart valves um, had been damaged. So he had to have heart surgery to have metallic heart valves. So he has that kind of heart thing going on. He's had the cancer. And then in then things were going back to normal. He was getting his life back. But then in 2018, he had this other bacterial infection. And now we know it, it does lead back to the cancer. His, you know, his, his immunity was compromised. He was able to pick up illnesses that normally his body would be able to fight, but because his B cells aren't performing as well, he's been struck down very, very severely. The incident in 2018 was when he had got streptococcal pneumonia as well. So kind of middle of the night, similar to your kind of story, he, becomes very disorientated. Got him to hospital. He was put um, put into a coma, given the right drugs, antibiotics to to help him. But obviously there was that fear that it would also cause endocarditis again, which it did. It was a few days later and he had woken up by that time. It looked pretty grim. So he had to have overnight emergency surgery to repair the heart valves, which were just kind of floating in his body. And I, I can't even get my head around that, if I'm honest. He was in a coma, fighting for his life, all kinds of, sort of machines. He had this ECMO machine um, for his oxygen levels. Like, you know, he had everything thrown at him. Uh, is you know, massive organ failure. And then a week later, they did do a scan on his brain and discovered that he'd had, you know, a very severe stroke, very severe brain injury. And while he was in the coma? We're not sure when it happened. Okay. We're not totally sure okay. when it happened. That is when they only realized it when they did the scan a week later. So it wasn't like a linear, a kind of like a lot of our listeners, I'm sure you, you know, you will ha have had those kind of symptoms of, of the brain injury or of a stroke. But with us, it was something, you know, there was a different primary cause. And then this was kind of a, a secondary thing. It's like, oh, yeah, your husband's fighting your life. And by the way, he's also had a really severe stroke. Can't tell you what he's going to be like. There are various scales and we don't know. 
and you just hold on to hope you know and I'm one of these that likes to keep a positive outlook when the doctors were kind of saying well it's really not looking good I you know was fighting his corner and saying that you don't know my husband he is strong he was he will fight for his life he was in good health you know he was was running was fairly fit and sometimes you do have to be quite firm because they 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 won't you know dress it up <laughs> they, the medical profession will be quite negative really and I, and I guess in a way that's to manage your expectations but I, I wasn't having any of it if I'm honest I was like you don't and, know my and husband and was your husband and <laughs> was my husband and was mine exactly yeah and you you do have to have that faith in them and they kind of you know some of the consultants some of them you know it, it, it varied really but there were, you know, a couple that were a bit doom and gloom. And I think one of them even said to his parents that they may have to take him off life support, and which was never discussed with me. And I obviously would have <laughs> given my opinion on that. You know, you kind of got to fight your corner and, and stay positive because you just don't know. You don't know the outcomes yet. And as long as there's hope, that's what really helped keep me going. I just, I couldn't look one way. I kind of did for a bit, but then I was like, no, I've really got to stay on that positive curve because that hasn't happened yet. Well, a friend has recently given me the slogan, hope is a discipline, which actually is <laughs> really great. And I'd never heard that before. I don't think that I could necessarily say that at that point in that crisis time, I was uh, either very hopeful or very mm. positive. Mm. Um, I think so much had changed and Hector was so ill um, mm. and was in a coma for six weeks. Mm. I think I, I just didn't know what was happening to mm. me at all, really, mm. because I didn't know what was happening to him. And, no. and every time I tried to think of the future I think I just panicked and I, I would just spin off yes. into a whole you scenario and you can't you've got to take each day as it comes you do and and actually I met a very dear friend of mine who was in Addenbrooke's uh, in the cafe she was there having an appointment with her daughter at the time and she met me in the cafe it was still very early days and I remember her saying to me when I started a conversation and was spinning off to, but what about this and what about that and what if this happens? Mm. And, uh, and I remember her just saying to me very firmly and very clearly, Julia, you cannot think about all of those possibilities. You have to try and take one day at a time. Otherwise, you will just go bananas. You know, it's, mm. it's, you will not be able to cope if you try and think about too far ahead at mm -hmm. this time, just take one day at a time. And I don't think I had ever really understood what that meant before because it's almost yes. a kind of clip saying, oh, just take one day at a yes. time on it. But actually I've held on to that advice and used it. Mm -hmm. and, and still now I use it when I feel myself kind of going too far along a road that mm. is non-productive mm. with my thinking. I think I don't know that. I'm mm. just second-guessing. Let me just look at what's in front of me and let me deal with this. Mm. And that doesn't mean that I don't have hope or think that, you know, planning for the future isn't possible at all. But I think it was such good advice at that mm. time. You have to be in the moment, isn't it? Mm. It's, it's 
like I'm listening to Jay Shetty and think like a monk at the moment and it is being present in that moment and not over look we do it all the time with everything try not to overthink it and let your imagination go too wild and, and I had kind of a day or two of going to a really dark place and I kind of had to pull myself back and at the time I was I was surrounding myself with lots of positivity like kind of reading positive books like reading the secret like just trying to get me out of that place and doing what I could you're kind of functioning you know it's, it's a really crazy time I can't even remember half of it but you know it just kind of is like how did I get through that because Paul was in a coma for probably eight weeks maybe mm. I mean mm. I've kind of lost mm. count it is bringing yourself back and being that hasn't happened let's stay in the now mm. Um, so, yeah. but your, but yeah, my life completely changed as yours did. I've had two young children at the time. One was almost two, it was probably about 18 months old. The other was five. So I was juggling that and actually they really helped me in that time because I couldn't get too down. I had to be strong for them. I had to keep their lives as normal as possible my friends were amazing you know all the school mums would would help me taking the girls to school um, you know my eldest to school having that community was just i'm just so so grateful for but i kind of wanted to keep their routine as tight as possible and yes it was strange for them but i knew i could hold together them and i would draw strength from them because when they're doing something silly or you know they've had a great day at school and they want to tell me something then you're not thinking about your husband in hospital you're thinking about them and like again being present in the now and having that awful things can happen but you can still have that joy from those little instances yeah and I had young children at the time as well they're not quite so young now but definitely I think that they provided the life outside of medical crises and hospital and interventions and comas and um because they were they were life you know they were life and love and and I think since then they have also provided um and been a huge motivation for Hector himself to continue getting up every day and you know being being a dad to them but I just wanted to pick up on some of the commonalities of the discussion that we've happened mm. that we've been having um you know we've we've talked about coma machines surgery how we didn't know what was going to happen some of the the kind of being strong that our husbands were strong that we were we were pretty strong in mm-hmm. different ways to neurosurgery what that means friends community and i just want to get back to the podcast and say they're the things that we want to be delving into with some of our episodes that are up and coming and bring experts in to talk about some of those areas Mm. bring friends in and and that wider community and to explore that in the uh, role that we have as wives to our husbands who had brain injuries and into the role for supporters and friends who Mm are also, um, you know, part of the community around someone who's had a brain injury. And again, to look at how we all do the best we can for ourselves and for our loved one with a brain injury to make sure that 
we get the most out of the life that that we have been given. It's that coming together and creating that community. We're thrown into these situations. I had no experience of a brain injury, of a young person so close to me, having, having it at age 38, he was very young. And it's a whole new world of rehabilitation, and communicating to his friends, his wider family, and um, those close to him about what's happened and how to communicate, how to deal with what what actually you know a brain injury is, what it does to you. You know, within the last three and a half years, uh, we've learned some of that. And Julia, obviously, you've got longer experience of dealing with that. So. We wanted to bring our lived experience to this podcast. There are things that those of you that live with someone with a brain injury will be very, very familiar with. But I know Paul's friends have been a huge support to him. And from an early time, I made sure that they came into the hospital. They really wanted to come and visit him. And, and I think it was pretty shocking for them, if I'm honest, to see him. He, he had very bad aphasia. He couldn't speak properly. It was probably quite a scary experience, really. In whatever ways that we can, through this, help enable or prepare those, that friendship groups, because it's so important to have those different conversations. And I know for Paul and his memory, his aphasia, just having those people come in and visit him, sparking some different kinds of conversation, maybe talking that I necessarily wouldn't necessarily talk about, like talking about the football or, um, you know, just coming in and bringing different conversations was really important for him. So I was a big advocate of kind of get, getting them to go in and it didn't have to be for long, just, you know, after work to pop in. He, he was at uh, Queen Square in central London so fortunately you know he has quite a few friends that work in London so we're able to kind of pop in and talk to him and just that absolutely helped that healing process we're going to go into all of this in more detail through um, our podcast podcast episodes and um, to help inform and just to really enlighten people through the experts that we're going to be getting on as to strategies or tools that you can use when you're communicating with those that have had a, a brain injury. And our experience as well of living in a village, because we live in a village and you're in, you're in London, aren't you? So I think that's, a, that's also a kind of contrast in terms of availability of services, in terms of community as well, because we're in a, lucky enough to be in a, in a wonderful community so as well as a circle of friends, we also have links into the community that surrounds us, as I'm sure you do here as well. There's obviously com community to be had um, wherever we live. And I think the investment, thinking about social connectedness and, and resilience as part of that for us all. So I think there's so much to explore. And, and also I think although both of our husbands had their brain injury when they were very young, I think we certainly don't feel that this is only for people who have had experience in the same way as us, but what we hope to do is to bring 
some of the latest research and those conversations that we're talking about that will be useful for everyone. Also people who may not have been in touch with someone with a brain injury as well because the brain is fascinating mm. and uh, although I have a science background uh, there's so much new research mm -hmm. that I am only just starting to find out about that I think is relevant to these discussions and again that we're going to be exploring and you know from the brain then conversations about the gut and the gut biome and how that affects the brain and neuroplasticity and mm -hmm. some of the amazing research that's going on and aphasia we're going to be talking to a professor who's leading some research in aphasia and some really exciting stuff that is cutting edge and emerging uh, that would be useful i think for all of us on this journey yes and and the neuroscience that's come out even in you know recent years is just phenomenal we still just don't know that much about the brain they used to believe that you know you couldn't rewire your brain once you were brain damaged that was it but we all know you can rewire your brain you can get better and and continue to improve months years decades down the line and that's something very exciting we're going to be um, exploring in one of our episodes thank you so much for listening please subscribe so you don't miss an episode just click that plus sign um, do share with others who you think this will benefit as well we really want to get this out to as wide an audience as possible and we'd love it if you wrote us a five-star review follow us on instagram and twitter on a good dot day and join our Facebook group too. All details will be in the show notes. Until next time, have a very good day.